Hi everybody, this is Barry Parker for Capital Link Shipping. Uh, today we are interviewing Aristides Pitas, who is the chairman and the CEO of Euroseas. Uh, Euroseas was listed in uh, early 2007 on the NASDAQ. The symbol is ESEA. Uh, two years earlier, the business of the Pitas family, uh, which was started in the mid-1800s, was consolidated into Euroseas. So it was started on the island of Hios. Uh, were those ships just in the Mediterranean, or were those trading all over the world? Initially, the ships were in the Mediterranean. There were sail-powered ships, but they couldn't go that far. The wow. trade was, was in the wow. Black Sea Mediterranean. We've come a long way. Uh, so the fleet now consists of uh, 18 vessels. Seven of them are bulk carriers, and that includes one that's under construction. And those total approximately 500,000 dead weight. And there are also 11 feeder container ships, which aggregate approximately 25,000 TEU. Uh, the bulk carriers are Ultramaxes, Panamaxes, and Campsermaxes. So those are roughly between 60 and 80,000 dead weight. The container ships are uh, mainly 1,400 TEU to about 2,500 TEU and those are uh, feeder container ships. So uh, Aristides, Euroseas is uh, straddling two different segments of, of the market. It's container and dry bulk. So we have a chance to uh, ask for your opinion and your insights on uh, both of these. Uh, and then we'll shift the discussion to uh, Euroseas itself. But let's, let's start with the, the markets. So the first question I have, uh, dry bulk. We've seen a definite recovery in the market, uh, but I'm curious what, what's behind the recovery and uh, do you feel it's sustainable? There's certainly a diminishing order book, uh, but there's also a demand side which has been strengthening, and perhaps it's a combination of both. So looking ahead, uh, curious, is the recovery sustainable and do you think we can expect better days? Well, Barry, I think you answered the question yourself, really. This is a very simple business, supply and demand driven. Uh, the demand has been relatively strong this year, quite strong actually, uh, coming mainly uh, out of China, but all over the world. We have uh, had uh, big growth uh, all over the world. So demand has been good. Uh, coal and iron ore into China have been good, and therefore uh, we have had a good demand side. On the supply side, we have had uh, fewer deliveries this year. Ships have been cancelled, deliveries have been slipping. Uh, this was the reason for the good years. Will that continue? We think it will. We think that uh, definitely we know that the supply side is really very well protected because there's very few dry bulk vessels coming out in 2018 and 2019. So for those two years, the supply side is definitely going to look good. Uh, the demand, of course, will be the swing factor. I think that it will continue being a good market because uh, more iron ore and coal are being produced by all over the world at much cheaper prices than the prices that uh, China can afford to, to uh, come up with the cargo. So I think the demand is also going to be good during the next uh, couple of years.
Okay, and then later uh, in the interview, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about regulatory factors, which might have some influence on uh, the supply side, especially. Uh, one of the things uh, happening uh, at, at present, there's a little bit of a disconnect between the freight rates and the asset values. The freight rates have strengthened, and uh, some of the analysts are saying the, the asset values have strengthened, but not... Uh, as much. We've, so we've heard the argument that once the, uh, the rates become, in particular term rates, like time charter rates, become stronger, this can lead to further asset appreciation. Uh, is this the right expectation? And is it a good time still to invest in the, in the dry bulk side? Well, having said that I expect 2018 and 2019 to be better years than 2017, uh, obviously, uh, we expect charter rates to improve further. Charter rates are currently at around 70-75% of the historical averages over the last 20 years, if you take away the two or three... Uh, there, there, there were some that it was yeah, off the charts. Yeah, yeah so there take, are some that take, are off the charts. So you take, 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 take eight quarters out uh, of data from the last uh, 20 years uh, and uh, and we are at 75% of historical average charter rates. Prices are also at around 70-75% of historical average prices. So if we approach those 20-year averages, I think that you know, we can see significant improvement in both charter rates and, uh, and values. So probably still a good time to be investing. It's probably still a good time to be investing. The absolute best has been missed because you should have invested in 2016. And I'm happy to say that to the extent that it was possible, we did it as Eurosys, uh, bearing in mind our financials at the time. But that was the best time to be investing. It's still a good time to invest. Okay. Uh, let's switch to uh, containers. We have... Uh, similar questions. There's been a, a modest recovery in the container market. Uh, it seems there's uh, a lot of investor interest kind of bubbling in anticipation of a further recovery. And then also there have been some of the container companies have, have now been raising new capital. So uh, I'm wondering about your, your market outlook. And I know you uh, specialize in smaller ships, like feeder, feeder ships. Uh, so whether you have uh, an opinion about uh, how the smaller ships might do compared to, to larger ships? Sure. Uh, it's true. The, the situation seems even more promising, I think, on the container sector right now. If you look again at the historical averages for whatever that says, we are now at asset prices for 10-year-old uh, 2,500 EU container ships, which are at around 45% of the historical average. They've picked up from the low, which was about 35% or 30% uh, a few months ago, but they are still extremely low. And extremely low are the charter rates as well. They are at the same levels, 40-45% of the last 20 years after stripping out the best and worst quarters. So clearly there is a potential room for this to improve, and I think that uh, we will see that improvement if the world continues growing at the pace that it is currently growing, and all experts seem to agree that there is no real fear of a huge market downturn globally. 
Container trade is very, very relevant to the global GDP trade. Yeah, yeah, it has uh, a multiple. Uh, it has a multiple. GDP. It used to be it used two, to be three times. Two, yeah, so it now used maybe to be three, less. two now, but it will be at least yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. come down as the market has matured, and there's an mm -hmm. it's it's begun it's begun. Container shipping is just you know started in 1970 really, so it's, it was maturing up to very recently. Now it's mature. Mm -hmm. But we expect it to grow at a slightly faster pace than GDP. Uh, so, so that's general about container ships. Now, if we talk about the larger and the smaller container yeah. ships, uh, for sure all the vessels carry the same cargo. It's one cargo. It's not like dry bulk where iron ore is carried by the big, big ones and uh, smaller vessels carry other cargoes. Here it's one cargo. Mm -hmm. So obviously, rates move a little bit in parallel for big and small ships as well. Of course, the small ships serve uh, smaller regions. They don't do the big transatlantic trades. And uh, the growth we are all seeing is on the big vessels and on the big trades. The smaller vessels have had a much lesser growth in number of ships that are being delivered. The fleet is older, more are being scrapped. For the younger ships, we can expect that the fleet will be actually shrinking. But some of the you know, middle-sized uh, ships are taking a little bit of the business of the smaller ships. Yeah. So there is always this cascade process happening. So I think that generally container sector moves in parallel, but mm -hmm. the opportunity is there now to see a little bit outsized returns for the smaller ships compared to the bigger ones. I was going to ask you, I don't think I have to ask you whether you're... Uh because you're in, uh, you're, it's an interesting company because you're in both sectors, but uh, your enthusiasm is probably a little bit more for containers than if you had to, if you had to pick one over the other. At this stage, yeah. At this stage, Barry, I think that the containers have more upside to go. Uh, they are still uh, charter rates and values are at historical lows. Uh, the world is growing at a fast enough pace. Mm -hmm. We don't have too many deliveries in 2018 and 2019. There are some of the bigger vessels. The smaller vessel fleet is going to become smaller. Yeah. So I, I'm quite optimistic that we will see a recovery towards the averages within the next couple of years. Now, I think with those big ships that you, uh, you read about, they get a lot of attention, like 21, 22,000. TEU vessels, those can't go to too many ports, so really the need for smaller ships to that act, act as feeders is, is actually increased. Exactly. The cargo is increasing. The amount of cargo is increasing. More ships are needed. We, we are fairly optimistic on, on, on that sector. Right, let me ask you a re related question. Um, just in, in your company, you've bought uh, some of the ships are secondhand ships, but you've also engaged in some new buildings. Uh, can you give uh, give some color on that? You know where where there might be a greater greater opportunity. I understand you, you probably analyze e each investment. Each one is different, but uh, each investment is different. We look at the, all the investments purely individually, and individually mm -hmm. they have to make sense, and we pick the one that makes sense uh, uh, most sense over time. The new builds that we took were actually vessels that we had ordered previously, back in 2014, mm -hmm. when second-hand values had increased to a level where it made more sense to buy a new build. Unfortunately, uh, this is not the case right now. Yeah. Uh, second-hand values are still lagging 
the respective values of, of the newer ships. So mm -hmm. still, it makes sense uh, to buy second-hand ships, and that's why you've been seeing most people buying second-hand mm -hmm. ships. They are still cheap. They are approaching uh, the levels where, second, where new builds will become interesting, not on, mm -hmm. the on the container side. There they are extremely low yet, as we said. On the dry they are approaching, but still they have not reached that level. So still you will see not too many new orders being placed. Well, I guess second hand, when, they get, uh, when, when it gets way above the new building, that's probably a sign that the market is overheated. So exactly. what, what you just said, uh, it, it bears out what you said earlier about there still being some, some upside. Yes, yes. Okay. We have to be careful. I mean, two things kill this market, uh, both the dry bulk and the container market. Oversupply, mm -hmm. which happens when we order too many ships and a sudden drop on the demand which does not leave enough time for the markets to adjust. So absent a drop in the demand, we are not seeing at least for 18 and 19 too many ships coming into the market. So that is what may, makes us positive. It's a good dynamic. Uh, let's switch it a little bit. Again, I, I, I love talking to you because you're in, you're, you're in two different sectors. Uh, there are, uh, you know, always questions. I don't know if there's a right Right, right, right answer, but the, there's a, a debate, a perennial debate about whether a pure play company, meaning it's in one sector, uh, is better for people to invest in, uh, or a company that's in multiple sectors. Uh, I, th I think I know the answer because I know the complexion of your company, but I just wonder if you could, you could talk about that because you certainly get the question, I'm sure, quite a bit. I get the question quite a bit. and. Uh... And I think that I now have the answer, which is that we have to split the company in two. So we are going to split uh, Eurosys probably in two. We are working on it, trying to see exactly what it takes. But we are going to have a driver company and a container company, hopefully uh, not, uh, not too late, uh, within the beginning of 2018. When we started, there were no rich shipping companies in the market. So we thought that by, that was 10 years ago, right? There were very few shipping companies. So, so we came in uh, with a mixed fleet, which was what we were doing privately because we wanted to hedge ourselves mm -hmm. and have dry bulk and container and they don't always move in parallel so we could hedge ourselves. There were no shipping companies in. This worked for a while, but when we, ha we started having in the public markets driver companies, container companies, tanker companies, specialized companies, mm -hmm. and the investors started uh, forming their opinion of their own on which sector they wanted to hold, we started to see that our model stopped making that much sense. The investor wants to make his own choice if he wants to be in driver or in container. So we have decided that uh, it is time that uh, we split the company in two, uh, have a driver company and a container company. We see it on how our stock price is, is, is trading, right? We are trading at below $2 uh, per share. We calculate our NAV to be above $5 per share. So our discount is huge. So we think that we will be able to unlock uh, value just by separating the two companies. And also it will allow us to do some other things that we are thinking of doing which uh, is to grow the company more, and we cannot really grow it ourselves organically being such a small company, 
So we are talking to other people about possible mergers. You have a question again yeah, we'll, later. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit of it. Yeah. But this, uh, you know, what what you mentioned, I think with the, with a lot of shipping companies, just always the the, the sum of the parts when you un unlock them is usually greater, and I think that's what you're that, that that's what you're saying. I think th uh, I think that that will be proven shortly. All right. Let me ask you. Uh, it's uh, kind of more general question, but you had you were one of the earliest listed companies to team up with uh, private equity investors. I know you were you were public, but then not long after that, then there were uh, two or three companies that are private funds that you uh, you, you took as partners in uh, a company called Euromar. And I think recently Euroseas has taken back some of those vessels. Uh, there's always conversations about private equity uh, exits, in quote. Uh, so I'm, but you've seen the whole cycle, and uh, others maybe have not. I wonder if you have some perspectives on that. This is a big discussion that we can have. Uh, I'm at, sure we at, can, at another opportunity. We could probably do a whole other interview. We, we could do another interview to, to discuss private equity, but uh, and I think the market mostly knows. Uh, the people they invested, the private equity that invested, uh, you know, six or seven years ago, needs to get out. They want to get out. Uh, they haven't had the opportunity because the market didn't help. Uh, it was surprising that we had such a long period of a bad cycle, of a downturn, rather than the usual, you know, five, seven-year cycles. So they need to go, and they want to go, and they're bored of this industry, and they've lost money. So. They, they want to find the most efficient way to go, and I think that's what uh, most of these people are working to do, find the most efficient ways to go. A few, very few, have started coming into the market now, or came in last year, but it's very few. That's better, I think, for the industry as a whole, because one of the reasons we had this bad uh, time was that so much new money came into, into the industry. Because of the prior very good years between 2002 and 2008, yeah. it attracted a lot of new money. The new money came in, it was too much money, too many ships, yeah. the industry went sour. It is correcting, I think we will not have such extreme moves going forward. So in your view, maybe, maybe that's not such a bad thing. Uh, it leads us to the next, the, the next question, and one of the things I wanted to ask you about was uh, the role of bank finance, so being in the business 140, 150 years, uh, your, your company, your family probably has some pretty good relationships uh, with banks. Uh, so from where you sit, uh, I wonder if you can comment on the availability of, of bank finance or the, the, the lack of it. You know, one, one theory was that private equity was going to replace bank finance, but with what you, you just said, the private equity is, is looking for the door, the exit. Uh, maybe there is a role for bank finance uh, still, so I wonder if uh, there is always a, There is always a role for bank finance, and uh, of course it's had, because of the problems that bank finance and banks have had on their own, uh, they are lending much less yeah. to much fewer people. There the, the is a lack a lack of finance. This is good for the markets. This mm -hmm. is one of the reasons that it's helping the markets right mm -hmm. now, right? Because not too many ships are being ordered and all that stuff. But there is a gap. Private equity left. Uh, uh, banks are, are, are giving less money. What's happening? I see two trends that have appeared. One trend is all these uh, boutique finance shops that are offering their fine 
bank, bank equivalent finance, but at a much more expensive yeah. rates. And uh, on the equity side, I, I'm seeing no, not, more, not anymore direct private equity, but mostly preferred equity type of investments. So these two areas are trying to fill in the gap that has mm -hmm. been caused by the lack of banking and the lack of private equity. So this, yeah. yeah. Uh, we have a, at the conferences that we go to, uh, and I, I, I see you at some of them, I think they talk about alternative finance. Exactly. So I think that's, that, that, that's, that covers it. That, that's kind of what we're talking about. Yeah. All right, let's, uh, let, let's switch to uh, regulatory uh, questions. The industry is facing uh, a bunch of regulatory changes in the not too distant future. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm wondering, you know, whether you feel those are going to be a game changer and how, how your company is dealing with them. And specifically what I'm, I'm, I'm talking about uh, two things. The first are the restrictions on sulfur in fuels, which uh, is going to take effect the beginning of 2020. So I, I think everybody knows this. Right now, the fuel that's burned can be up to 3.5% uh, sulfur content. That's going to, uh, 13 months from now, that's going to go down to half a percent on January 1st, 2020. It's not 13 months, it's, it's 25 months or whatever. Uh, oh, I got the wrong year. We got a little time. Yeah, we've got a little time. We got Don't frighten us that we, much. We, we, got, we, we have a little bit of time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but still, it's not enough. Yeah. And the, uh, the ballast uh, water treatment uh, requirements. Uh, now, those have been pushed back. Let me make sure I have the right year. That's uh, 2019 now. But yes, but you can. Ex it has to be at the first special survey. After that, so, so you, with a ballast water treatment plant, you can go on existing ships by to 2022, even 2023. You can stretch it out as the time where you need to install that. It has taken so many years for this ballast water treatment plant to be finally adopted and become definitive. So, and it will become so and ships will need to have that. And that might help trigger scrapping some of the older ships because you're going to be needing to spend, you know, anything between 400 and a million, depending on the size of the ship, in order to install that. So you will have to have a very good market to see some of the older ships pass special survey and install the ballast water treatment plant. On the sulfur content, yeah. the thing which comes in in 2020, well, first, let's see if it actually does come in 2020, because there might be extensions. Mm -hmm. um, if it does come in, that means, in my view, that there will be, uh, the refineries will be able to offer uh, this low sulfur, uh, sulfur content fuel cheaper. Mm -hmm. I, I think that will happen. Certainly, what I don't see happening within the next 25 months is seeing uh, ships uh, putting on scrubbers, unless you're talking about the very big ships. Mm -hmm. It can only happen, I think, on very, very big ships. But, uh, you know, even up to Kamsar-Mars-Size dry bulk or, you know, six, 7,000 TEU containers, which is approximately the range that we are, I think nobody really will do it. So we will all be competing on the same level. Um, if it becomes so much more expensive, there are two solutions at the end of the day. One is we all sail slower, mm -hmm. which burn is less going to fuel. help burn less fuel. Mm -hmm. That will be great for the environment. It will help uh, everybody. It will help shipping and the environment as well if we sail slower. 
So that's one good thing that can happen with all these new regulations. Uh, the other thing is that eventually, because all the ships are going to be the same, we are all going to be paying the same cost, that cost will be passed over to the consumer. And this is life. I mean, at the end of the day, the poor consumer pays for everything. So whatever regulation we impose, uh, at the end of the day, it can, goes to the consumer. On. But you're not, uh, you're, you're, you're not seeing uh, one, one scenario that, that I've heard is that there, there, there's not going to be enough low sulfur fuel available. You're not, you're not seeing anything of, of that type. If there isn't, the regulations will be adapted so that, uh, so that you know, the cargo gets transported. The world cannot, cannot cope without transporting the cargo. And the ships that will be capable of burning low sulfur will be extremely few in, tw in 25 months. For sure, they will not suffice. One, one thing we, we, we haven't talked about, and uh, I can presume you're, you're probably not looking at it, is LNG propulsion. This is for modern new ships. It hasn't happened yet. It might happen. It might be a development of the future, but it hasn't happened yet. It will take time. Our time horizon is, is less than that. <laughs> And then being public, it becomes even less than that. Sure. The investors care about the next quarters. Mm -hmm. All right, but it, but it, but it sounds like I, I, I think you, uh, you, you, you said it very well. Trade doesn't stop on uh, January first, uh, exactly. twenty twenty. Okay. Uh, you started to talk uh, about the, the future of uh, the company, how how you see it, and I think we'll. We'll we'll wind down with a question about uh, looking uh, look, looking ahead. So your fleet has been expanded with the uh, acquisition of five vessels from Euromar. That was the the joint venture with the private equity that we mentioned. Uh, you've also mentioned, and I think this is this is public information. You've uh, announced a letter of intent with po uh, Poseidon Containers on a on a possible combination. This is this is the transaction. You, you referred to. So Poseidon has, I believe, it's 16 container vessels. So uh, taken together with your 11, that would be uh, 27 uh, ships. That's a fairly formidable uh, company. So is it likely we'll see more uh, combinations of this type, you think, between public and uh, private uh, companies? And then if you want to comment, anything you, you, you are able to say about Euro season and Poseidon, I'd, I'd be interested, and the viewers would certainly like, like to hear that. Yes, uh, Eurosis is, is coming out of the crisis uh, relatively unscathed. During this last, uh, you know, eight, nine years, uh, we have uh, been able to struggle on, having been a conservative company, have not diluted our shareholders. We only did two very small private placements during all this time. Uh, in order where, where uh, there were actually rights issues where all our shareholders participated, raised just 20 million. So we did not dilute our shareholders even though we went through the worst crisis that we have had. Because they all bought shares. Because uh, the ones that bought shares, but it was also a very small amount. So uh, we, th we think that nearly all the other companies diluted their shareholders as of 2009 tremendously more than we did because we have always been conservative. We're coming out of this crisis now, we feel, 
with the biggest fleet uh, that we've had, 18 vessels. So we've actually managed to grow during the last uh, two years where we saw that the market was going to start recovering and we bought cheaply relatively into the company. So we are at a, at a good stage right now, 18 ships is, is, is a good number, but it's not good enough. And having decided to split the company in two, mm -hmm. we will have to find other ways to grow both these companies. And we will. Poseidon is one of the ideas that we're talking about and we're considering. We're talking with uh, Mr. Yurukos, who's the principal of Poseidon. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we have a framework agreement on how we can work together. Depending on how his uh, project evolves, which was trying to raise some more equity by a couple of more ships in order to make this company even bigger. This is something that may or may not happen. We will know within Q1 uh, how things go. But this, as I said, is not the only thing that we're looking at. We're looking at uh, transactions on the drybug side as well. Mm -hmm. um, Are they similar in, 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 in nature to the extent you can you can talk about a combination of, of some sort? We're talking about combinations with other people that have uh, other vessels. Okay. And we're very flexible and open to try and do something that makes sense for both parties and you know, for, for the resulting companies as a whole. So we hope that you know, within 2018 we will see some transformational changes within the company. So looking forward over the next few years, now that I got my calendar, right? <laughs> thank, 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 you, thank you for that. So really what we're, what, what we're looking for is really two, two thriving companies, one in the, in, in the container, probably still the smaller container vessels, and one in, yes. one, one in, one in dry bulk as well. Fingers crossed we'll, we'll make that's, it happen. Thank that's, you. That's what we're hoping. Yep. Okay. All right. This concludes our interview with uh, Aristides. So thank you so much. Thank you, Barry. Thanks very much. So thank you. Barry Parker for Capital Link Shipping. Thank you, everybody, for watching our interview.